Who are the real people we consider our sages? Who were they in life? What is the legacy they left us? Join Rabbi Danny Saxton for the next hour as he explores the lives of our Torah giants, the spiritual geniuses who shaped the way we approach Judaism today. That's focus on our sages right now on 101.9 High FM. Good afternoon and welcome to Soul to Soul. It's wonderful to be with you on a Wednesday afternoon, on a very warm Wednesday afternoon here in Joburg. And uh, today we're going to look at some fascinating ideas and quite a bit of interesting history. Um, let's start out with today. Today's Hebrew date is the 3rd of Shvat, of the month of Shvat. And today is actually the anniversary of when, in the Hebrew date, of when Adolf Hitler came to power as Chancellor in Germany in 1933. Um, so it's exactly 90 years today since Hitler came to power. The November 1932 elections saw the Nazis emerge as the largest party in the Reichstag. Leading German politicians and businessmen persuaded President Paul von Hindenburg to appoint Hitler as Chancellor as a way to stabilize the government and the economy. Hindenburg, Hindenburg reluctantly agreed Two months later, the Nazis passed the Enabling Act, giving Hitler dictatorial authority. Hitler's government then banned all other political parties. And in July 1933, a concordat, which was an agreement, was signed with the Vatican. Hitler secured popular support by pursuing Germans that, by, sorry, by persuading Germans that he was their savior from depression, from the communists, from the Treaty of Versailles, and from the Jews. Hitler would use this power to launch the Second World War and would oversee the murder of three million Jews. Today, 90 years ago, which uh, gives us great pause as to the destructive power of the dictator. Tomorrow's date is the 4th of Shvat, and we go from one extreme to another, from a, a crazy, deranged, lunatic who murdered millions of people, to a holy tzaddik, Rav Yisrael Abu Chatzira. Um, tomorrow is the yotzad of the great Sfadi sage and Kabbalist, who is known as the Baba Sali, who was born in 1889. He died um, on, this, on tomorrow's date, the 4th of Shvat, 1984. He was born in Morocco, and the Baba Sali made aliyah to Eretz Israel when the um, state of Israel was declared. Eventually, he settled, settled in the town in the south of Israel, um, in, which is known as Nativot in the Negev. And um, this became a central address for Jews seeking advice, blessings, and in many cases, miracles. Stories abound of his supernatural abilities. If somebody complained about a physical malady, he would prescribe a spiritual action to rectify it. If he was presented with money as a gift, he could identify if it had been burned, earned in a kosher way or not in a kosher way. He had elevated beyond the physical to the extent that he would hardly eat anything each day. Today, his grave in Nativot is a popular place of pilgrimage and prayer. And uh, tomorrow will bring many thousands of Jews to his gravesite on his yacht site. And then uh, on Friday... 
two days, so it's tomorrow night and Friday, the 5th of Shvat, is the Yotzeit of the great and holy Rabbi Yehuda Leib Alta the Sfas Emes, who was the Rebbe of Ger. So Ger is a group of Hasidim, Gur in Polish, Ger is how we translate it. Um, it's a group of Hasidim that actually became the dominant force of Hasidus in Europe before the war and still is has that position today as being the most powerful group of Hasidim in the world. Um, certainly in Eretz Israel, in Europe and um, in many parts of the world. So I think it's a good opportunity for us to discuss the Gera Hasidim and to discuss the Gera, the second Gera Rebbe, the Sfas Emes, is your side it is on Friday, and to get an insight into the Hasidic world, the history of Hasidus, which is really fascinating and worth, worth talking about. So let's go back to the beginning of Hasidus. Um, Hasidus was founded by the Baal Shem Tov, Israel Shem Tov. He was born on the 18th of Elul. In 1698, he died on Vav Sivan, 1760. He was born in a place called Podilia in Poland. And he um, identified a certain approach which he felt was important and necessary for the development, for the survival, for the growth of the Jewish people of Klai Yisrael. And there were certain basic tenets that Hasidus emphasized, um, like the importance and significance of man in creation and the universe, the influence that man and his actions have upon God. And it's a famous teaching of Rav Levi Yitzchak of Berdichev, who said, Hashem tzilcha yadneminecha, Hashem is, uh, says in Tehillim that Hashem is like your shadow at your right hand, that just as the shadow mimics exactly what the person does, so too HaKadosh Baruch Hu, we affect the highest spiritual worlds and we have a great impact on the all of creation which is a famous Hasidic teaching, very beautifully articulated by the Kedusha Slaver of Levi Yitzhak of Berdichev. Um, Hasidus also emphasized that evil contains within it good because nothing can exist without the inner spark of holiness of everything in this world. Um, Hasidus emphasized um, that prayer is the key to connecting to God and the primary means of Israel's of the Jewish people's spiritual elevation. Um, Hasidus emphasizes that joy is a required background for Jewish life and pessimism and depression cause sin and spiritual apathy and the fervent enthusiasm enthusiasm, um, and awareness of Hashem's presence are essential components to the study of Torah and to the performance of mitzvahs. Hasidus also emphasizes that the mitzvahs must be performed with emotion and with feeling for their sacred character and prayer must be carried out with intense cover and intense concentration. So these are central tenets to this new movement that the Baal Shem Tov developed. Um, they really were not new to Judaism, any of these ideas. However, the emphasis that Hasidus placed on them and their combination together created a new approach that was quite revolutionary. And uh, within a short amount of time, within a space of about 50 years, Hasidus spread across Poland and um, and it really fitted the personality of the Jews of Poland. 
because it, it was a, a good a good match because the Jews of Poland were very spiritual and they were like mystical they looked for mysterious aspects to Judaism they were quite sharp um, intellectually but they weren't so much into the emphasis of intellectual study so therefore the Hasidic approach really was a a good match for the Jews of Poland and the person who was primarily responsible for the spread of Hasidus was the main Talmud, the main student of the Baal Shem Tov, Rabbi Dovber of Miserich, the Magid of Miserich. And he was a brilliant Talmud Chochem. He was a great scholar of Kabbalah. And he then had a number of very significant students, very significant Talmudim. And they were the ones that spread Hasidus across Poland. Um, so the, the great people that were taught by the Magid of Miserich were people like Rabbi Elimelech of Lizhensk and his brother, the holy man, disguised as a simple person, Rabbi Zusha of Anipoli, um, Rav Shneer Zalman of Liadi, who was the founder of Chabad. Chabad stands for Chachma Bin and Das, the three levels of wisdom as explained in Kabbalistic thought. Um, Rav Shneer Zalman, who was the founder of the dynasty of Lubavitch, wrote his famous Sefer Tanya, which is the seminal work of Hasidic and Kabbalistic philosophy. Amongst the other Talmudim of the Magd of Mizrish was Rav Nachum Tursky of Chernobyl, the, the famous Rabbi Avram Tursky, the um, psychiatrist, comes from that dynasty, and the, the famous Tursky family who've had a great impact around the Jewish world. Rav Aaron Perla of Karlin, um, who was also one of the great leaders of Hasidus after the Magid of Miserich, Rav Levi Yitzhak of Berdichev, the Kedushas Levi, as we've mentioned, Rav Shlomo Gottlieb of Karlin, Rav Meshulam Fevish Hela of Zubarich, um, and Rav Shmelka of Nikolsburg. These were amongst the many influential and um, powerful students of the Magid of Miserich who was responsible for spreading Hasidus throughout Poland. Please stay with us. We'll be back in a moment. This is Focus on Our Sages with Rabbi Danny Saxton on 101.9 High FM. We're discussing the history of the Hasidic movement and the original founder being the Baal Shem Tov, whose primary Talmud student, the Magid of Mezerich, had a massive influence on a large number of very influential Talmudim who spread Hasidus across Poland. Um, and very quickly, uh, Hasidus became enthusiastically followed by the majority of Polish Jewry. After these great holy men, the Talmudim of the Magis of Midrash, passed on, so their students became the rabbis in their own towns. And often there were disputes between different Hasidic groups in the 1830s and 1840s. Um, the level of scholarship within the Hasidic world dropped. And often the Rebbe's themselves were not great Talmud Chachamim. They more became renowned as miracle workers. And people would get together. Instead of studying Torah together, they would talk about stories and legends of um, miracles and the miracle work that the Rebbe's had done. And that became quite dangerous for the world of Hasidus. And as a result, as a consequence of that, in the 1820s, there was a kind of counter-revolution 
within the Hasidic movement. After the Magid, um, uh, one of his great Talmudian of the Magid was Rav Yaakov Yitzhak Horovitz, the, the Choser of Lublin. And the Choser of Lublin um, also had a Talmud who, who was his namesake. His also na- name was Rav Yaakov Yitzhak Horovitz. Um, and uh, he, he's, he was also known as the Yid HaKadosh. Um, he rebelled against his Rebbe and he said that Hasidus had become quite like folksy, a little bit, you know, airy-fairy. Um, and he therefore uh, started his own um, his own approach to Hasidus. He broke away. He went to a small uh, – the Choser of Lublin was in, a, it was in Lublin, obviously Choser of Lublin. And uh, his Talmud, the Yid Kadosh, went to a small town near Lublin called Pshischa. And he took with him 30 of the greatest minds in Poland. And um, after the Choser Lublin died, he died, died quite tragically, um, the Hasidim of Peshischa, uh became prominent, and they, their approach was very much focused on the learning of Torah, on absolute honesty. Um, the Yid HaKadosh then passed away. He had a son. But his Hasidim, they weren't interested in his son taking over. It was a meritocracy. And so they wanted the best person to take over to be their Rebbe, to be their leader. And they picked perhaps one of the most unusual Hasidic Rebbe's in the history of Hasidus, a person by the name of Rav Simcha Bunim of Peshischa. Um, Rav Simcha Bunim, he was a businessman. He wore a short jacket. He palayed bridge. He was the only licensed Jewish pharmacist in all of Poland. And under his leadership, um, Peshischa grew tremendously. And it began to challenge the mainstream Hasidic movement, which was a little bit more folksy, a little bit more uh, less focused on the learning of Torah. And Rav Simcha Burim famously said that, give me 300 Hasidim who say Hashem Elohim Emes and mean it, that's all I'm looking for. He didn't want it to make a, a large movement with big following. He wanted to be focused on quality rather than quantity. And on Yidden, uh, Jews that were holy, that were pious, that were very truthful and very dedicated to serving Hashem. There was a great wedding um, in Ostila. It's called, Ostila was a place in Poland. And it was a wedding between um, the families of two rabbis. The son of one rabbi married the daughter of another rabbi. And there were over a hundred Hasidic rabbis that attended the wedding. Um, imagine trying to give out the kibbutzim at that wedding. Couldn't have been an easy thing to organize. And the elder statesman of Hasidus at the time was the Eptorov, Rav Aram Yeshua Heschel. He was known as the Oyev Yisrael after the Sefer that he wrote. Um, and so a number of Hasidim wanted to um, take, uh, wanted to initiate a Din Torah against this revolutionary group called the Hasidim of Pashischa. And they wanted to actually put them in Khairam because they felt that they were threatening and were accusing the Hasidic movement and were going, were deviating from, from the way. Um, and so they initiated this Din Torah with the Aptorov Rav, uh, Abraham Yeshua Heshul. So Rav Simcha Bunim didn't go to the wedding because he knew what was waiting for him over there, but he sent his primary Talmud, Rav Yisrael Me'alta, the Chidushe Harim. 
So we'll discuss the Chidush Arim and his life in a, in a bit of a moment. Um, and so they, uh, the Chidush Arim then was subject to this Din Torah with the Aptor of adjudicating. And um, there were a number of accusations leveled against him and leveled against the the approach of Pshitzcha, the Hasidim of Pshitzcha. And he was able to answer each of those accusations with tremendous scholarship, with tremendous piety, with tremendous humility and holiness. And the Aftarov was so impressed with him and with his Torah knowledge that he said um, he certainly would not put the Hasidim of Pshitzcha into Cherem. But he told the Chidush Arim a very interesting thing. By the way, the Chidush Arim was a very brilliant person. He was one of the greatest minds in Poland. Um, he's, he's safe on Shas, his commentary on the Gomorrah. So um, the ideas that are there, uh, this is not said by me. It's, I heard this from Rabbi Wan. As much of what I'm telling you, I heard from Rabbi Wan. Um, but it's also been said by another a number of other great Talmud Chachamim that within the writings of the Chidush Arim is a similar approach to the um, the system of Reb Chaim Soloveitchik. Reb Chaim Soloveitchik developed a whole new study and analysis within the Torah Shabbat within Gemara, and there are certainly elements that of that approach that are seen very clearly in the writings of the Chidush Arim. Although he didn't have the same vocab- vocabulary as Reb Chaim, the same definition as Reb Chaim, but he had a similar approach to Reb Chaim. That's the level of genius that. He was, he was a tremendous Talmud Chacham. And so, um, even though the Aftarov didn't refuse to put the Hasidim of Pshitzcha into Cherem, but he told the Chidush Arim something very significant, which would stay with him his whole life and would impact greatly upon his approach when he became a Rebbe himself and the Rebbe of the Gera Hasidim. And he said to him the following. He said to them, him that the uh, Torah world, the world of, of Klal Yisrael, is like a highway. And that highway um, is is about the Torah Shebeksav, the Torah Shebeksav, the written Torah, the oral Torah. Uh, we then have the Rambam and the great, great Rishonim and the Shulchan Aruch. And all of that, that is the highway upon which a religious observant Jew travels and gets us to our destination. However, he said there was a block in the highway. There were barriers blocking that road. And as a result... Uh, that prevented Jews from from going traveling that highway. As a result, the Baal Shem Tov introduced a detour to go around those barriers, which would take us to our destination. He said, "Now you have introduced a detour to a detour, and as a result, we may never get back to that main highway." And so, that had a tremendous impact on the Chidush Arim, and affected how he would conduct. Himself and his leadership as being the Gera Rebbe. When Rev Simcha Bunim died, so um, there was a, a need for succession, and um, there was a, one of these Talmudim was Menachem Mendel Morgenstern, the Kotzka Rebbe. Um, so some Hasidim wanted the the Kotzka Rebbe of Menachem Mendel Morgenstern to take over as the Rebbe, and some wanted the Chidush Arim, Rav Yisrael Meir Alta. Um, but the Chidush Arim pulled out of the race and he said, um, because he wasn't on the level of the Kotzka. He says the Kotzka is an Ish MS. And listen to this story that he told, which illustrated why he felt the Kotzka was the right person and he wasn't. 
Um, he said that they went to spend Rosh Hashanah one year with the Choyze of Lublin, in Lublin. And the davening uh, was very long, and it only ended at about four in the afternoon. After they finished Musaf, their people rushed home to say Kiddush, and then they came back for Mincha at five o'clock. And the um, Kotzka said that he had had a release of wine, and therefore, by the time they were davening Mincha, he said he couldn't daven Mincha because he had had a revise of a revise of wine is 86 milliliters, and we know that if a person is light-headed and is 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 uh, tipsy, so they have to be able to conduct themselves in a certain way in order to be able to daven to Hashem. So the Koska felt because of the revise of wine that he was not um, clear enough in his in his mind and his thinking, his behavior, and therefore he didn't daven Mincha on Rosh Hashanah. He says that was the level of truthfulness of the Kotzka, of the Kotzka Rebbe, and therefore he's an Ish MS, and I'm not on that level. And so the Kotzka became, took over uh, of the, the that group of the Hasidim of Peshischa, and he was on a very, very high level, and he worked very hard on himself, and he demanded the same of his Hasidim, of his Talmidim, and then a lot of very famous um, sayings of the Kotzka, which are quite brilliant, Somebody once asked him, um, Chosid said, where is God? He says, God is everywhere where you allow him to be. And another famous saying is he, is he used to say, is, if I am I and you and you, because I am I and you and you, then I am I and you and you. But if I am I because you are you and you are you because I am I, then I am not I and you are not you. Very brilliant. In other words, you have to be true to yourself and not be affected by the environment and those around you. Kotzka was legendary. He was brilliant. He was fiery. He was uh, a person who didn't suffer fools easily. Um, his drosha on Rosh Hashanah was three words. He got up in the base midrash and he shouted out, "Ganavim, roitzchim, noyafim," that you are are uh, are uh, thieves, murderers, adulterers. You know, he was didn't uh, didn't hold his his punches back at all. And uh, although many flocked to Kotsk to be with him, they couldn't handle it. The, the wine was too strong. It was a bit, a little bit too much for them. And for the Rebbe himself, it wasn't easy to, you know, be on this level and to lead the Hasidim on this level. And he actually became a bit of a recluse, the Kotsk Rebbe. Despite his genius and his popularity, um, it, it, it had quite an impact on him. And uh, then his wife died. And things were, were not good for him. He was a little bit down, a little bit depressed. And the halacha is the person should get married. And the Chidush Arim went to him and said, I have a sister. And my sister has told me that she, they, you know, obviously were very close and that they knew each other very well. They knew each families very well. I said, my sister would be prepared to marry you. But she said she doesn't want to be married to a holy man. She wants to be married to a person who will be a husband to her. And if you agree to be a husband to you, to, to her, so then she will marry you. And they did get married and they had a very good life together. After the Kotzka passes away, so the Chidush Arim takes over as the Rebbe. And he moves to Warsaw and then he moves to a little town just outside Warsaw, a town called Ger. Um, I've been there. And, uh, he builds the Hasidus. And as the Gerer Rebbe, he remained true to the words that the Aptorov told him. 
and he builds builds Ger into a popular Hasidus, into a Hasidus that is more appropriate to the average person, the average man in the street, but a Hasidus that's based entirely on Limud HaTorah, a great focus on learning, a great focus on being truthful, a great folk, uh, uh, most of Ger was built through, not through big yeshivas, but through one-on-one learning, through the learning of the shtibul, the learning in, in small groups, and it became the dominant force in Hasidus in Poland at the time. Um, and so it, it really had a, a, that which was the, um, was periphery to the Hasidic movement actually became the mainstream Hasidic movement. The Chidush Arim had a very difficult life. Chidush Arim, um, he had 13 children, all of which died in his lifetime. Unbelievable suffering. And uh, only one of his children had children of their own, um, Avram Mordechai, and his, he had a son called Yehuda Leib. Um, and uh, since Yehuda Leib's father died, and mother also died when he at a young age, he was then brought up by his grandfather, by the Rebbe, by the Chidush Aaron. And uh, when he was 23 years old, so his grandfather passed away. And um, he was voted by the Hasidim to take over as the Rebbe. At 23 years old. And, but he was just an incredible genius like his grandfather. And he was somebody who had a very high level of understanding of Torah, of mitzvahs, of people. Um, and he built Ger into, uh, although his grandfather had started it in this trajectory, he continued, and Ger became the dominant force in Hasidus in Poland, continued to develop and continued to grow. Um, uh, the Sfas Emes, he, he, it takes, he takes his name, Rahula Leib Alta, and we call him the Sfas Emes because that was his main work, book that he wrote called Sfas Emes, which is... Um, very deep insights into the Torah um, and into Jewish thought and into the Mu'adim. Um, and he he really was somebody who um, who was loved, respected, and um, there was a tremendous reverence for him because of his greatness. Um, it's a very difficult Sefer Sfas MS, and I was privileged when I was in Osamech, Yeshiv in Yerushalayim, um, I was taught by a holy ra- ra- Rabbi Isbi. I actually uh, badgered him to teach me Sfasim as he was a Gerach Hasid. So it's very difficult to learn on your own unless you know a lot of Kabbalah, a lot of Kabbalistic terms and teachings and a lot of abbreviations. So he doesn't speak it out, Sfasim. He doesn't speak out his ideas. He expects you to, he hints towards an idea. He expects you to know what that means and then he puts together the concepts. So if a person doesn't have a history and a background, in his concepts, it's very, very difficult to understand what he's saying. So I was privileged to learn Swas MS with this uh, very big Talmud Chochem, Gerach Hasid, Rav Avraham Mordechai Isbi, and it was a, a great privilege for me. It really was the highlight of my week when I was in Yeshiva. So Ger becomes the mainstream Hasidus in Poland, and uh, its numbers before the Holocaust were 250,000 Hasidim were the numbers before the Holocaust. Um, please stay with us. We'll be back in a moment. This is Focus on Our Sages with Rabbi Danny Saxton on 101.9 High FM.
So we discussed this Svas MS, his Yotzat being tomorrow night and Friday, the 5th of Shvat. Um, and the Svas MS's impact on the Jewish world is still felt very much to this day. His Debrei Torah are deep and penetrating and powerful and very, very um, spiritual. They really touch the Neshoma in a beautiful and brilliant way. And so his impact is still very much a part of the Jewish people. The Svas Emes' son, the Imre Emes, actually started encouraging Talmudian, his students, to um, go to Eretz Israel in the 1920s. And as a result, uh, before the war, about 10,000 Gerach Hasidim were already living in Eretz Israel. It was very difficult for them to get there. We know that uh, the United States was an option because it was a spiritual desert. And there was, uh, there was the, um, the British controlled Palestine and uh, prohibited immigration um, to Israel. So it was very difficult to get there. So even though there were 250,000 Gerach Hasidim in Poland before the war, a small amount got out to Israel. And as a result, they provided the infrastructure for the, re- for the building of the Gerach community in Israel. And therefore today, Gerach Hasidim are the largest group of Hasidim in Israel. They are the most powerful group of Hasidim in Israel. They have a lot of political power. They are the dominant force Force in Agudas Israel, which is a part of um, Degelar Torah, the religious political party in Israel. And so the effect and impact is still felt very much um, in the Jewish world today. An interesting point to make, uh, maybe we'll, I'll, I'll share with you a, a Dvar Torah from last week's Pasha of the Imre Emes, of the Son of Svas Emes, which is, which is powerful. Um, just to mention that... Uh, with, uh, interestingly, the Hasidic movement started as a, like the Aptorov said, it was a deviation. It was a, a, a detour that brought us around the blockages and back to um, our serving Hashem in the right way and was extremely powerful and significant and essential to the survival of the Jews of Poland um, and the development of the Jews of Poland. Um, but it, be, it was created as, almost, as we mentioned, was revolutionary in its style and in its approach and in its um, uh, bringing joy and bringing spiritual concepts to Klai Israel and emphasizing the, the privilege and the, um, enthusiasm we should have to do a mitzvah. Um, so though it started as kind of an innovative approach, it's end, ended up being really the, the most hardline approach because with the Haskalah, um, in the 19th and 20th centuries, so the world of Hasidus, um, the the maskilim really mocked the Hasidic world, and they took the the most um, how could you say it the most kind of um, different approaches that they had, or even the most eccentric parts of Hasidus, and they and they mocked them, and they kind of belittled them, and the Hasidic world then completely declared war on the Haskalah and on the the secularists that wanted to pull Jews away from observance and from um, serving Hashem, and they said, we're not going to change anything now. Whatever we have, we're going to uh, stand by and be steadfast and be loyal to and not let the secularists weaken us in any way. So Hasidus, which started out as quite an innovative, creative group, became the most hardline group that didn't change anything and became very, very steadfast in their approach to the outside world and the approach to the secular world. Um, and as we see that today, the Hasidim are very strong on their customs, on their practices, on their traditions, have successfully maintained them wherever they are to their credit um, in the Jewish world. 
And for example, their language, for example, their dress, for example, their, their focus on learning of Torah are all paramount and non-negotiable within this Hasidic world um, in order to deal with the secular onslaught that they faced. Unfortunately, with the Holocaust, so Polish Jewry was wiped out. More than three million Jews from Poland were murdered by the Nazis. Um, unbelievable. So the anniversary of Hitler coming to power 90 years ago today in the Hebrew dates. Um, and so the great tragedy is that um, the Jews of Poland were wiped out and uh, the the 10% that remained have built up the rest, all those that all, all got out. Um, what we have today within the Jewish world that remains in Baruch Hashem, the Hasidic world, is still very strong and very active and very powerful within Klal Yisrael. So I think let's end off, since we've been speaking about the Sfas Emes, his Yotzad on Friday, his son, the Imre Emes, who I encouraged Talmudim to go to Eretz Yisrael, and he himself survived the Holocaust and, and went to Eretz Yisrael. As a result, Gary became very powerful and dominant and strong in the land of Israel. So let's share a, a vote, an idea of the Imre Emes, which I think is relevant and significant and something we can all relate to. We will do so in a moment after this break. This is Focus on Our Sages with Rabbi Danny Saxton on 101.9 High FM. We're going to end off with a vote of uh, Torah of the Imre Emes, who was the son of the Sfas Emes. And the Imre Emes says a beautiful thing. He says that we see... Uh, we're now learning in the parishes that we are reading about the Jewish people, their suffering and slavery in Egypt and the amazing miracles that Hashem performed on our behalf and took us out of Egypt, which is the basis of our faith as Jews. In Parshas Vaera, last week's Parsha, we read about the first seven of the plagues. Um, this week's Parsha, Parshas Bo, we read about the last three of the plagues. The seventh plague is the plague of Barad, of hail. And the Torah tells us that Moshe Rabbeinu, the, the um, framework for all the plagues was Moshe would warn Pharaoh and Egypt for a week, and then the plague would happen for a week, and then Moshe would dive into Hashem, the plague would stop, and then would be two weeks respite, that, that uh, Pharaoh would have a chance to think things over and send the Jewish people out, and if not, the next plague would begin. So the plagues, each plague was a month. And so by the time you have the seven plagues, there's already six months of plagues. And the the Torah says that Moshe Rabbeinu warned Pharaoh and warned the Jewish people. And um, the Torah says that anybody who would take serious his warnings, Yira, the Dvar Hashem, the Pasuk says, anybody who had a reverence for the word of Hashem, they would bring the animals inside for fear of this latest warning that this devastating hail would descend Upon um, Egypt And those The Pasuk says And those that were Law simulate That didn't pay attention They didn't take the animals in The Midrash says So how many people Actually did listen to Moshe And take heed Of his warning Midrash says Only one person That was Eov Everybody else ignored The warnings of Moshe Rabbein Which is very very strange Because he has a good Track record Doesn't he Exactly what he said In the previous six months Exactly what he says what would, ha would happen. And exactly when he said when it would happen. And exactly when he said when it would stop. 
was exactly spot on by Moshe. Fantastic track record for the last six months. So how could nobody take seriously his warnings that plague number seven is on its way? And if you don't, if you don't take the necessary precautions, your livestock is going to be wiped out, which was the source of a person's wealth in those days. So, um, the Imre Emes says an interesting thing. He says, the Pasuk says, simulate those who paid attention. So we all have Bechira, we have free choice. We have the opportunity to pay attention to God, to God's presence, to God's actions in the world. And we have the choice to turn a blind eye, to ignore the presence of God, to listen to all the nonsense that is out there. Um, the people in Egypt opened up the Cairo Times, and in the Cairo Times it says, well, you know, there's nothing special about the water turning to blood because Pharaoh's necromancers, Pharaoh's magicians could also turn water into blood. And they uh, listened to the news reports who said, well, the the professors at Cairo University are saying that there was a certain protein that the frogs were eating, and that's what caused them to multiply, and so it was completely a natural occurrence. And the uh, zoologists are saying that there was a certain change in the climate, and that caused all of the wild animals, Arov, to come into the towns. And so those that wanted to deny God's existence had the opportunity to listen to so-called experts and completely turn a blind eye to the reality that was going on in front of them. And that is a familiar thing, isn't it, says the Imraimis. And we're certainly in our world today, it's the same thing. We could either be Yire Lidvar Hashem. We could pay attention to God's word. We could simulate. We could pay attention. And that's what the Imraimis said. He, his grandson actually wrote him and said, what is Yire Shemaim? What is reverence or fear of God? And he answered him in the letter, the Imraimis, who is the son of Svasimis, and he says, um, he quoted last week's parasha and the seventh plague. He says, if you simulate, if you pay attention to God in the world, that's Yerushalayim. How do we pay attention to God in the world? Well, we just have to open our eyes and we have to look at our body and the miraculous functioning of the human body, which is absolutely breathtaking. Each organ, um, how perfect and how vast and sophisticated and incredible it is. And how then all the organs work together into a single organism and make up a human being. How, how we function, how physical, the physiology of a human being is just breathtaking. Um, and we see such clear and obvious design and purpose within the human body. And then when we look out of the human body, so we see a natural world which is so vast and so perfect and so incredible. I was just uh, now in the holidays in the bush, and I absolutely love the bush. And I feel an overwhelming sense of God's power in the bush because wherever you turn, you see the perfection, how intricate and how detailed and how perfect everything is from the birds to the food chain to the um, different animals um, to the the reptiles, everything is just so magnificent and so perfect in its design and in its functioning. Um, we look at human beings. Look at a human being. Look at how vast and how deep and how nuanced every 
human neshama is, every every soul is, and our relationship with different people and how sophisticated all of that is. And we look at our lives and the situations we're in in our lives and the circumstances we find ourselves in and how nothing is coincidental or accidental. It's all part of our journey that God puts us in in order to develop and grow. So when you put this all together, it's, there's just too much design. It's too – the purpose is so clear and obvious. The chances of it being accidental and by chance is completely ludicrous is completely going against logic and straight thinking. There's just too much. It's too vast. It's too, it's too perfect. Um, the entire universe that we're living in, all the different parts that make up our lives and the universe. So wherever we turn, we should be simulated, pay attention to the sophisticated purpose and design that God has created in this world. And it's pretty obvious. It's the most obvious thing in the world. There must have been a creator and a purpose to all of this creation. So it says the Imra Emes, that is Yerushalayim, is when you simulate, when you pay attention. So we have a choice. We have a choice in our lives. Do we listen to all the nonsense that is coming in the media and out of Hollywood and from the universities and the academics that are leading us to ignore God's existence? And they have a very clear agenda why they do that. Because they don't want us to believe in the higher power. They don't, themselves don't want to believe in the higher power because then you have to subscribe to a moral system of that higher, higher power. And nobody wants to be told what to do and how to live. They want the freedom to make their own choices. And therefore, they justify that with their theories and with their approaches and with their philosophies, um, which really is going against all basic logic and basic thinking. Or do we open our eyes and are we simulated? Do we pay attention? As the Imre MS says, do we have Yerushalayim and do we serve God? So that is a very powerful teaching of the Gary Rebbe, the Imre MS. And we remember his father, the Sfas MS, who built Ger into the formidable force and mainstream force within the world of Chassidim. And uh, we remember him on his Yotzat, which is tomorrow night and on Friday, the 5th of Shvat. Thank you so much for listening and have a wonderful day.